Amen. Hey, can we just give God a hand real quick? Come on. Let's just give God a hand. Welcome to Victory Church. You can be seated. How's everybody doing? Let me hear you real quick. Come on. Welcome, family. For those of you that are watching online, hello, online family. We are in phase two officially uh, here at Victory Church, which means we've been able to open up our auditorium to our entire church family with uh, certain guidelines. We do not have our kids' ministry open yet. I know our kids, uh, when I told my kids that church was opening, they got so excited. And I said, well, V Kids is not open yet. And Casey Ray threw something down and she said, oh, that's my favorite part about church. And I was like, well, you know, your dad preaches, but that's okay. You know, that's okay. And enjoy that, you know, all you care about is kids' ministry and, and not your father. But uh, again, welcome, online family. Welcome. It's so good to be here together. We are, in fact, in this series called The Journey, and, and, and hopefully you've been blessed by it. Hopefully you've been watching online over the past, I think this might be week 13. I'm not, I'm not really sure. I've lost track, not really keeping track. Uh, we are just going as long as it takes us to get everything out of this book when it comes to the character of Jesus. And so we've just been taking it verse by verse. Uh, we are in John chapter 9 today. Two things that I really encourage you to do is to get a paper Bible and a journal. Um, two of the reasons for this. One is that as you're learning about Jesus and as these, these scriptures are jumping off the page and you're going, wow, I never knew that or I never knew it meant that or I never thought that, you can underline, you can make uh, you know, notes, you can highlight. And, and it's really for two reasons. Number one, please understand that you're in a season today, right? You're in a season today. You will be in a completely different season in five years. Am I right? You'll be in a completely different season in the next five years after that. I know we might think that uh, 2020 is going to last forever, but, but that's not the case, right? Like we're going to be in different seasons. Maybe you don't have kids now. You will have kids. Maybe you're not married now. Maybe you'll be married. Maybe you're younger. Um, you'll be older. Maybe you, you, know, you don't have a job. You'll have a job. There's all kind of different seasons. And here's what I'm learning about Jesus. Jesus will reveal himself differently in different seasons. So it's important for you to put these kind of notes down so that you can go back in different seasons and go, oh, wow, Jesus, I got to remember that Jesus is this, and I got to remember that Jesus is that. So do me a favor, do that, keep notes, uh, and, and throughout this series, again, like I said, there's no telling how long it will last us. Two, two quick announcements before we jump into John chapter 9. One is don't forget that Purpose Prevails is still happening for our church. Again, for those of you that have been a part of it, both here in person and online, you know that every year at the end of the year, we sit back and say, what? Look, let's look at what God has done in our lives over this past year. And even though in the midst of a chaotic year, I can say that God has done some phenomenal things in my life to be thankful for. And so I get to turn around and, and praise God both in, in showing by giving, but also in my faith by stepping out and giving in faith. And so we want to encourage you to keep that. That'll be going on all December. Uh, we do take 100% of that money and turn around and put it into events and outreaches to hopefully see more people come to know Jesus. And so just wanted to let you know that. Um, and also, you may have experienced it already, but if you haven't, our worship team dropped their first album. Come on now. Yeah. So here's what we're doing. We, we didn't think you would be uh, totally able to take it all in at one time. 
without you know, losing your mind. And so what we did is we're dropping one single a week. So every Friday, there's a different single that's dropping that you can download. Download Spotify, iTunes, Amazon Music, wherever it is that you stream music, download it. And then also our uh, Bree and Bethany and a lot of our uh, seasoned actors and actresses put together these incredible music videos that go along with each song that tell a story. They titled the album The Journey because if there's anything we can say about 2020 outside of that it was the year of the shift. I was right about that one. Um, it is certainly a journey that we're experiencing together. So by all means, go to YouTube, watch those music videos, and stream those songs so that you can not only support our worship team, but be blessed by the music. Amen, church? Hey, if you got your Bibles, turn to the book of John chapter 9. If you got your iPhones, jump on there, John chapter 9. Um, as I said, we're just kind of going verse by verse. So last week we were in John chapter 8, and Jesus was experiencing religious leaders. We did a message called the cancel culture, and we talked about the idea that this woman, they bring this woman before Jesus, and they're asking uh, Jesus if they should stone her, if they should kill her right there, uh, if they should cancel her, as I called it. And then Jesus really gives us a lesson in what we sh how we should react to the cancel culture. Jesus has now moved on from those religious leaders. He handled that situation. And while traveling, he interacts or, or comes in contact with a man who was born blind. And something happens real powerful in that interaction. That's what we're going to talk about today. So John chapter 9, verse 1, starts like this. As he went along, so as Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. This man had come out of the womb blind. So his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me, that being God. Night is coming when no one can work. So we got to hurry up and do his work during the day because night's coming and no one will be able to work. Jesus goes on to say, while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. And after saying this, Jesus spit on the ground, made some mud with saliva, and put it in the man's eyes. And then he told the man, go, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word meant sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. I want to talk to you for a moment about a subject that I'm betting money you did not know I was going to talk about based off that scripture. But hopefully it blesses you today. The topic of the message is this, why bad things happen to good people. Why bad things happen to good people. I, I think we would all testify that there has been a moment in our life where we ask this question. Now, now, maybe you didn't ask it outwardly, right? Maybe you thought it. Maybe it was because something happened to you. Maybe it was because something happened to somebody you know. Maybe somebody got sick. Maybe somebody passed away. Maybe somebody lost their job. Maybe somebody wasn't able to, you know, have a kid or, or whatever the situation was that is a, you know, bad situation and who it was happening to, according to you, they are good people. And so when it happened, you kind of sat back and said, man, why do, why do bad things happen to good people? I'll never forget the very first time I came across this question. Um, I'm sure I thought it before, but I wasn't saved for a majority of my life. And so I never made the connection to God. I just kind of said, man, life, I won't say the rest of it. Kids are in here. Uh, life, life stinks. There we go. And, um, but, but I'll never forget, I was on staff at a church, and, and there was a gentleman by the name of Terry Bogue. 
And Terry Bogue was probably the greatest man I've ever met. He, he, was, he was a godly man. He was a great husband. He was a great father. He, every time you met him, his smile was from ear to ear. I, I can honestly not recall a moment where I heard him say a bad thing about anybody. I never heard him gossip. I never, every time you came in contact with him, you left feeling better about yourself and better about life. Do, do, do you know an individual like that, right? Okay. So, so that's who this person was, Terry Bo. His, uh, one of his daughters was my age, and so that was my interaction with him beyond the fact that I worked at the church, and I want to say he was a board member at the church at the time. But kind of out of nowhere, at least, least to me, maybe his family would argue, um, he, he, he was diagnosed with cancer. And so I, I don't quite remember how long he fought it, but I just remember that there was a season there where I didn't see him for a while, where it had obviously gotten worse and at his home, they had taken kind of the living room area and made it kind of into a hospice type area. And um, I just hadn't seen him. But I was hearing through his daughter, Julie, and through different friends that we had that, you know, how he was doing. Everybody was praying for him. I mean, gosh, I remember having church meetings, praying for him. Because, again, it was just such a great guy. But also, you want to see God heal his body. And then I remember one time our pastor, Ron Woods, said to me, hey, our staff is going to go over. We're going to lay hands on, on Terry. This was pre-COVID. We're going to lay hands on Terry, and we're going to pray for him. And um, so I went, and I don't, guys, I was probably 21, 22 years old. Maybe I was young. And we, we walked into his house, and the last time I had seen Terry, he had not experienced any physical change from the cancer. And when we walked into the room, and there he laid there, I promise you I did not know who he was. Like, I, I literally looked over. I had a fellow pastor that was younger. He was a youth pastor. kind of was like, I'm sorry, who's that? Like, it was so shocking. Um, and, and, and Terry did eventually, not too long after that, pass. And, and that whole experience messed me up because I was in that deal of like, God, really? Like, like if there's no better man than this. And, and, and why did that have to happen? It'd be different if he, you know, if he did certain things to his body to make him unhealthy, but he, but he was a fairly healthy guy, and his, his wife was probably the, the, literally like an angel in a human body. And so it was like, what, how, what in the world, right? What in the world? And, and I think it's easy for you and I to develop the assumption, listen to me, that good things should happen to good people and that bad things should happen to bad people, Right? So again, it makes us wonder, when bad things happen to good people, why? I read a book called, Why Do Bad Things Happen to Good People? by a rabbi. And, and rabbi, I believe his name is Harold Kushner. Uh, I have a quote from the book. Go ahead and put that up for me, Paul. Uh, but this quote from the book says, We could bear nearly any pain or disappointment if we thought there was a reason behind it or a purpose to it. You and I could bear just about any pain, just about any suffering, any catastrophe, if we thought there was a reason behind it, if, if we thought there was a purpose behind it, if we could assign something to it and say, hey, that happened because I did this, right? I deserved it because this happened. We could bear just about any pain. But where we struggle is when we see suffering and we can't quite attach it to any reasoning. We begin to struggle, and, and in the end of it all, we, we still find ourselves wondering this. Why would a good God allow bad things to happen? And I want to do my best today to address that through the character of Jesus. Now, there's two narratives to this, 
One is the one I'm preaching and one is the other one. The one that I'm not preaching, you might be familiar with, and I wanna share it because it's a great narrative, it's a true narrative, and you definitely need to download it into your mental capacity and have it for later on in study and life, and that is that there are no good people, right? I, I think most of us kind of understand that. Like, like our definition of good, in reality, none of us are good. We're, we're all sinners. Scripture talks about comparing ourselves to Christ and our rags being filthy and these different concepts because there are no good people. Matter of fact, I watched a documentary with a friend of mine and the guy in the documentary said that concept of a bad thing happening to a good person has only happened once and that was with Jesus. And that's true and that's a true narrative. And I would preach that, but I feel like we do a pretty okay job here at Victory Church explaining that. I feel like this series has been pretty frequently reminding us that it's not about our performance and it's not about how good we are, it's about how good Jesus is and so on and so on. So I really wanted to come at it from a different angle that I think when you put those two angles together, hopefully by the end of this message, you will walk out of here going, I feel stronger in the future when I face suffering. Because of that narrative, there are no good people, and because of this narrative. And the narrative I want to teach you starts with this. I think we have to understand right off the bat, number one, that suffering is not always a consequence of personal sin. Sorry, that's a mis misspelling. Suffering is not always a consequence of personal sin. Let's go back to John chapter 9. Watch this. It says that Jesus and the disciples enter in. They're walking along, and they come across this blind man who's been blind from birth. And the disciples say to Jesus, hey, Jesus, who sinned? Was it the man or was it his parents? Who, whose fault is this? right? Who, who, who did something to deserve this? Was it the man that did it? The, the disciples are telling Jesus, hey, we understand that this man came out of the womb with suffering, right? We understand this man was born blind. I think we would all agree that that is a sense of suffering. I'm not saying that it's the worst or the best. I, I'm, I'm not trying to categorize it. I just would agree, I hope you would agree, that that is an example of suffering in our life to be born blind. And so they recognize that it's suffering, and they say to Jesus, whose fault is it? Because according to them and their thinking, suffering is a consequence of personal sin. So they want to know whose fault is it? Right now, now watch this. Similar to the disciples, you and I have a cause and effect concept or mindset when it comes to sin and suffering. Okay, you and I have a cause and effect thought pattern when it comes to suffering and sin. When we see suffering, we think that is the effect, and we ask ourselves, "What was the cause?" Right. When we see somebody suffering, we understand it was the effect. What was the cause? Someone has lung cancer. Oh, they've been smoking their whole life, right? We were looking for the cause that brings the effect. Because similar to the disciples, we think suffering is, in a, is a, a consequence only to personal sin. Now listen, this is the same thing that the the Jewish customs or, or that the Jewish theologians were teaching, okay? Because when you have this thought that, that cause and effect is, a, is, is the concept of sin and suffering, it will lead us to accept suffering, watch this, 
when we feel like it was deserved. We, we honestly, it's not that we're mean people, but, but there's something in us that kind of accepts suffering better when we think it's been deserved. What we can't understand is why something bad happens to someone who doesn't seem to have to deserved it. So there was a couple of things that the Jewish theologians were teaching people on that day. One of the things they were teaching them was something called prenatal sin. That belief system was that you and you or an I, whoever, could actually commit a sin in the womb of your mother. Right? <laughs> Be kind of hard, right? Like, man, I was doing well. I was like this big and I was doing good and I messed up. And so their idea is that when you, when you were born, because you sinned while being in the womb, when you were born, you were born with an effect because the sin happened in the womb. Another thing they taught was preexistence, and here's what they believed. They believed that souls existed before creation and that souls were bad or good. So they believed that our souls were, were operating and existing before our bodies were created and that some of them were good and some of them were bad. So when, when the, that soul embodied a, a human body and became, if it was a bad soul, you would experience effect from that because you had sinned. In other words, your soul sinned. It's basically what that means. And so if therefore, if you were born with a, a defect or something, they were saying it was because your soul sinned. So either you sinned in the womb, your soul sinned before you were you know, in the womb, or, and I've taught this to you a couple weeks ago, or they believed that you would actually uh, pay for the sins of your parents, that your parents sinned and now that's impacting you. So again, the teaching was heavy on this idea that if you experienced suffering, it had to be a consequence of personal sin. It had to be. It either had to be, you either sinned in the womb, you sinner, or your soul sinned, or if your soul was super spiritual and you were super spiritual in the, when you were a bread in the oven, then maybe your parents sinned. Because regardless, if you are suffering, then it must be a direct result consequence to somebody's personal sin, your personal sin. What Jesus came to help us understand is that sin is not a personal issue. It's a global issue. It's not, it's not a personal issue. It's global. Now, 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 let me say this. You certainly can bring suffering on yourself through personal sin. Obviously. We all have experienced a negative effect of suffering that we knew, man, if I wouldn't have done that, I wouldn't be experiencing this. It happens, but it's not the only way. Jesus wants us to understand that sin is not just personal. It's global. Here's what he's trying to say. This man was not born blind because he personally did something sinful. He was born blind because sin wreaks havoc on the world. This is why suffering happens. It's because sin wreaks havoc on the world. Listen to me. He said, when sin entered, when sin knocked on the door and came into the world, 
death, despair, sorrow, and suffering came in right behind it. You got to catch that, church. There is no separation. There's not sin, suffering. They come together. Suffering is a result of global sin. From the beginning of creation, when sin entered in, before that door could close, sorrow, whoop, excuse me, despair, whoop, they all got in and they're wreaking havoc on our world. Let me do a better job. About six years ago or so, I've shared this with you guys, maybe it was longer, I decided I wanted to start working out and I chose Darla's brother to be my workout partner. That's like choosing LeBron James to teach you how to play basketball when you've never picked up a basketball, all right? It's a really stupid idea. But I was born to be stupid, so let's go with it. And so I met him at the gym every day, and we worked out. And because of natural, like I had never set foot in a gym, never in my life, never. I'm not even sure I'd ever picked up a weight. Um, now, I, now, I know I probably did. Every kid, when they were young, got the little set of dumbbells so you could look in the mirror and see your bicep. You know what I mean? Every kid, every boy did that. But you didn't work out anything else but your biceps, right? You didn't work out your back or your legs or your calf muscles. And people start talking about your, I don't even know what you call them, a deltoid. I'm like, what? Isn't that, a, isn't that a peppermint you put in your mouth? Like, I'm not working that out. You know what I mean? Like, you're not, you're not quite, I'm not into all of that. And so when I started working out with him, he was introducing me to stuff that I didn't even know was in my body. You know, he's like, you can work out this muscle. I'm like, I didn't even, I thought that was a bone. I didn't know that was a muscle. And, and so, so eventually, we're going through it, right? And because we're doing biceps, which I had done, you know, I had used in life, and, and maybe some shoulders, I'd probably lifted some furniture before. It wasn't really a big deal. But then we got to leg day. And when we got to leg day, he started making me do stuff that I don't naturally do. Matter of fact, I'm, I, I, I've expressed, Darla, my frustration about this because most of the leg workouts are not things you do on a normal day. Tell me the last time you squatted. Besides the bathroom, people. <laughs> right? Tell me the last time you lunged. I don't see any of y'all walking through Kroger like, uh, there we go. That's why I need tight pants, because i got to be able to do that. They're, they're stretchy. They're stretchy. You know, the, the one thing that makes me the maddest is she'll, she'll put her foot up on something. Oh, I could die on this. And, and then she'll go, y'all ever seen this? And then it'll go down. Y'all don't come out? Y'all don't go to the gym. <laughs> uh, I don't think so. Uh, I'm like, you don't normally do that, right? It's silly. So anyway, he took me through. I was doing leg presses and calf raises and, and, and stupid stuff. And so... The day ended, and he was like, how you doing? How you feeling? I was like, man, I'm good. I feel great. I feel like I could take you on in an arm wrestling contest. Like, I got this. He said, okay, cool. Should have known he was up to something. And so I go home, go to bed, wake up. Wake up, I'm a little, I'm a little uncomfortable, a little bit. But I'm like, this ain't bad. I mean, okay, I can handle this. Well, apparently, when you do workouts correctly, about 48 hours later, 24, 36, 48 hours later, the soreness really sets in, Right? So the next day, I went to get up out of the bed, and I look like a baby giraffe. You know what I'm talking about? Like, he was just doing all that, right? You know I got to the bathroom, y'all. You'd have thought I was 160 years old trying to sit down. I'm like, Dala! Baby! You know, you're going up the stairs. Y'all ever seen somebody who, after leg day try to go up the stairs? It's like, they stay there for a minute. It was terrible. And so I get to the gym, and I'm like, bro, you killed me. Like, whatever you did to me is not 
correct. I shouldn't feel this way. And he looked at me. Here's what he said. He said, that's literally part of the plan. I'm like, I hate you with everything in my body. But here's the point he was making. It's just part of how it goes. You go up to any person who works out and you mention leg day and they already know what you're talking about. They're like, oh, it sucks. It's terrible. Why? Because they understand that it's part of the plan. Hear me. Contemporary Christian culture has created this inhuman and unbiblical avoidance of pain and suffering. To where if it's happening, something's wrong. Right? Oh, I, God must not be here. I'm suffering. You know, like, like we, we have to avoid it somehow. Listen, Jesus is trying to help us understand it's just part of the plan. It just, it happens. It, 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 sin is just out there wreaking havoc. And there's so many people, and it's such a big world, that there is a possible chance that you will live your entire life and not experience any real suffering. It could happen. But there's also a chance that you will experience a lot of suffering. And it won't necessarily be because you did something wrong. It's just part of the plan. It's how life goes. And so Jesus is wanting them to understand this. And he's saying, look, if you can wrap your mind around the fact that suffering is a consequence of global sin, not personal sin, then you will be able to better understand when bad things happen to good people. Now watch what Jesus says to them, okay? They say, Jesus, who, who, who sinned? Whose fault is this? Boy, is it him? Is it the parents? Verse three, Jesus says, neither. It's neither of theirs fault. It's not the man, nor is it his parents. Watch what Jesus says. It says, this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Jesus says, this suffering is not because this guy did anything wrong. This suffering is going to be used for the glory of God. Can you imagine their faces? I'm sorry, what? Say, say it again. I misunderstood you because I thought what you said, if I was correct, is that his suffering is for God. I don't, I don't put them two together. I've heard of glorious God and gracious God. What's this suffering? It's supposed to be, they're supposed to be separate. They had to be shocked. So here's my question. Are you? Like, like when you read that, is your immediate response to be shocked? Okay. Walk with me on this for a second, okay? Here, here's what I think was happening in this moment. The disciples are following Jesus. He has done miracles. He has done certain things that makes them believe he's the son of God. Matter of fact, a few weeks ago, when Jesus said, are you gonna leave me too? His disciples said, where are we gonna go? You are the son of God, right? So they've acknowledged you're the son of God. Now he said some crazy stuff and they've been like, ah, but they're still sticking with them because they believe he is the son of God. All right, watch this. They're following him. The crucifixion has not happened. None of that's happened. So here's what I think was going on in their mind. Hey, 
We're on Jesus's team. We've made it. We won. We're on his team. Watch this. We're no longer going to experience anything bad because we're with Jesus. We're no longer going to experience suffering. Hey, remember when all those religious people came in there and they were doing this? We're not going to experience that anymore because we're with Jesus. Remember how we used to not have anywhere to sleep? That's not going to happen anymore because we're with Jesus. Remember how your wagon, I don't know, what, remember how your donkey was a, you know, it was, it was kind of a, a pinto donkey? <laughs> we're going to upgrade. We're going to get a Tesla donkey. Because we're with Jesus. Right? I think that's what they were thinking. Like we have won because we're on Jesus' team. At some point, Christ followers have been taught to confuse the Great Commission for the American dream. The culture today for Christians is, we've made it. We're on Jesus' team. We won't experience suffering anymore because I'm on Jesus' team. All the bad things that used to happen, I won't experience them anymore because I'm on the winning team. The house I used to have, I'm going to get a bigger house. Why? Because I'm on Jesus' team. I'm going to get the best parking spots. Why? Because I'm on Jesus' team. I am going to win because I'm on Jesus' team. I think this is what they were thinking. We win. The problem is... Being a Christ follower doesn't mean you win now. It means you win forever. And when we get those two things confused, we start looking around wondering, ho, 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 I thought I was supposed to be winning now. No, you win forever. Matter of fact, and we said this a couple weeks ago, you might actually lose now, but you win forever. I even think, I'm not one to put words in Jesus' mouth by any means, but I even think, looking at the scenario, that Jesus said, watch this, this is so good. If I don't help them understand now, that suffering is a consequence of global sin instead of personal sin, then when it comes time for them to be crucified for the gospel, they will think that that suffering is a result of something they did instead of connecting it to the glory of God. Right? Because when these disciples say this, when he says it's for the glory of God, they have no idea that they are all going to die for the gospel. They have no idea that some of them are going to be hung upside down, exiled, persecuted, beaten. They have no idea of this. They think we made it on Jesus' team. Darling, I've been watching Survivor recently. I got hooked on it over Thanksgiving. I'm, 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 I watch it every day. And you'll watch people, they'll get on these, like, they call them alliances. They get on a little, little few groups of people, and you can tell they start to let their guard down. Some of them will, because they think like, oh, I'm good. I'm safe. 
in like the next episode, right? They get like kicked off by the same person. And I think this is the same kind of atmosphere in our culture right now. It's like we get on this Jesus team and we think, oh, I'm safe. I'm good. Nothing's going to happen to me. Meanwhile, the very people that you and I are supposed to look to, for example, were beaten, persecuted, and killed for the gospel. But yet we wonder, well, since I followed God, I ain't gotten a raise. And I feel like now that I follow Jesus, I should get double of what I got before I followed Jesus. You know what I mean? And now, now I'm giving my life for Jesus. I done moved here and started a church. I done joined the dream team. I sing on the worship team every morning. I follow God hardcore. I read my daily Bible verse twice a week. I'm following Jesus hardcore. So not only should I not experience suffering, I should experience blessing. Right? How many times have you seen somebody frustrated because since they've been following God, they haven't seen blessing increase? What kind of teaching is that? The last thing, worse than that, is when somebody starts following Jesus and they still experience suffering. I thought it'd be different. Of course you did, because you were taught that becoming a Christian makes you win now versus winning forever. There's a difference. Now listen, should we pray against suffering? Of course. Should we ask God to take it away? Yes. I pray every day for my children, every day that God protects them. I pray it every day because I don't like to suffer. I'm kind of sensitive that way. So, so if God's willing to listen to me and help me kind of move some things around or avoid that, then by all means, let's do it. But there's a difference in praying and asking God, hey, in case, and then there's a difference in expecting it to never happen. You know what I mean? So if you've been taking notes, get ready to write this down. Because here's what Jesus said. Jesus is trying to explain this to them. He's trying to help them understand this, that uh, suffering is not a consequence of personal sin only, but it's also a consequence of global sin, which is why bad things can happen to good people. And he's trying to lay this out. And here's what Jesus says to them. You ready? Got your notes? I always give you a Jesus is during this series. Jesus is the light of the world. How many of y'all heard that before? I've heard it before. I've seen people come out holding little battery-operated candles. Jesus is the light of the world. You know what I mean? And you get this feeling like, I don't know, like maybe Jesus is Rudolph the red-nosed reindeer. Like maybe he's going to lead us with his shiny nose kind of thing, right? You know what I mean? It's so, it's so nice. It's weird to me that Jesus brings this up when they're talking about suffering. Right? So, here we go. John chapter 9, verses 4 through 5. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. For night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus says, sin is equal to darkness. In scripture, a lot of times, sin is referred to as darkness, right? So Jesus says, this world is a dark world. Guys, y'all gotta catch this. This world that we're living in is a dark world. 
It's filled with hate. It's filled with racism. It's filled with sin. It's filled, it is dark. It's dark. There's death everywhere. There's despair everywhere. There's sorrow. If you don't believe me, go on Facebook. It's a dark, dark, dark world. And Jesus says, we got to hurry up because you cannot work at night. In other words, the end is coming near and it's a dark, dark, dark world. And people think that that's where the story ends. And if you're watching this and you kind of clicked out right now, you'd go, man, Christianity is so depressing. Because it seems like all that pastor's telling us is that life is going to be really unenjoyable. And what Jesus says this is so, so good. Jesus says, listen, in a dark, dark, dark world, the best thing about this world is me. It's Jesus. Jesus says the best thing in a dark world is Jesus Christ. Why? Because of what I said at the beginning of the service. Because in a world that's full of darkness, there is hope. But the only hope is Jesus. So it's why he illustrates himself as a light. Listen, listen, what good is a light if there's no dark? We want this world to have no darkness, right? It's what we want. Father, why can't we just love everybody? I wish we could, but sin wreaks havoc in this world. I, I get confused sometimes when we get mad at sinners for sinning. It's a dark world. There's hate around every corner. But Jesus says there's hope, and that hope is Jesus Christ. Because in a world that is dark, watch this, Sin may have its way now, but it will not have its way forever. Jesus says it may be dark, but I am the light. Hear me. We got to quit putting our hope in eliminating suffering and pain from this world. Don't put your hope in that. Pray for it. Do all you can to help it. By all means, that's what we're supposed to do as Christ followers. But don't put your hope in it. Don't put your hope in this world. Put your hope in Jesus. Put your hope in knowing that there is an eternity waiting for you. And because of Christ's crucifixion, the darkness that you're in right now, you will not be in forever. Jesus surrendered to the sin that was on earth so that you could overcome it in eternity. Isn't that great? Now watch this. Jesus said something that if you didn't catch it, it's going to shock you a little bit. Jesus said, while I'm in this world, I am the light of the world. Right? Did y'all catch that? Did y'all see that? I saw it. Did you see it? So here's my question. What happens when Jesus is no longer in the world? Because last time I checked, he went up to heaven. So if Jesus says, while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world, he would also be saying, when I'm not in this world, guess who is now the light of the world? 
us. Watch this. You and I are the best things about this world. Now, hold on. Not you, actually. Don't be like, I know. <laughs> I tell my spouse every day, I'm a gift to you. No, not, not you. Not, not me. Not, not Erica. Not Troy. Believe me, if the world's only hope was Erica and Troy, they are in bad trouble. He doesn't mean that we are the light of the world. He means that the light of the world is in us. So if Jesus was technically the conduit of the light, then we are the conduit of the light now. And in a world that's filled with darkness, we can't be a light if we're constantly complaining about the suffering. The only way you can be a true light is to truly embrace the suffering. Right? All right, check this out. I hope this blesses you the way it blessed me. There are two things in my house. Let's move this over a little bit. Two things that I want to show you, and, and they're completely different, okay? One is this. Isn't that cute? It's fake, right? You know, but it's cute. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you agree? Pretty? I don't know what word. I know, man, I don't know. It's a waste of money is what we would say it is. Okay. But this is in my house. I'll be honest with you. Don't leave the church. I think it's cute. I think it's pretty. I like it. You can send us comments to our website. And so because it's pretty, it has been in different places in our house. Right now, it's in my office on like my little desk. Don't don't pretend like I got some great office. It's where Veda plays Fortnite 98% of the time. But um, it sits there. Before that, it was down in like our living room on kind of like the dresser because it's a, it's, it's a piece that you want people to see. You know what I mean? It's, 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 I think they call it like a, like a conversation piece because somebody will walk in and go, oh, that's so pretty. Look at that. What is, what is that? Is that, like a, is that a plant from Costa Rica? Like, no, it's from Marshalls. It's different. <laughs> It's, it's, it's pretty, right? And, and people will talk about it. But here's the interesting thing about it. As pretty as it is, it is completely purposeless. Purposeless. It does nothing, right? Am I right? Okay, glad you're with me. This is the other object in my house. This is a nightlight that we use up near the girls' bedrooms in the hallway to the bathroom in case they need to get up and use the bathroom at night. They can do it with a little bit of light, not in the dark. This thing, is actually pretty cool because there's a little sensor right here because my kids don't know how to turn anything off ever, okay? Something running at my house right now. <laughs> so what's cool about this is it's a little sensor. So when it's light, it goes off. And then when it's dark, it comes on, right? Really cool. You know, thank you for such creations, probably from the guy who does Apple. But, um, the interesting thing I thought about it is, is it's not pretty, right? It's, let's be honest, it's kind of, it's kind of boring. It's kind of, kind of plain. I've never had anybody come to our house and Darla be like, I have got to show you this nightlight I just got. Come upstairs, it is beautiful. I never heard somebody walk in and be like, oh girl, tell me where you got that from. You know, it just doesn't happen. Right? Matter of fact, this is kept upstairs in a dark hallway and it gets no respect whatsoever. 
I've never heard anybody in my house go, do you think, do you think we should bring it down just so it could be with us for a night? Like, it's, just, it's up there. It's cold. You know, nobody's been up there. We've been out of town. Nobody, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's cold, right? No, nobody appreciates it. So just make sure you're clear. Beautiful, but purposeless. Bland, but purposeful, right? Let me give you a better one. This is the one God gave me earlier this week, and I just about hit my knees. One is impressive. One is important. It's different. This is impressive, but it's not important, right? This is not impressive, but it's important. And then I felt the Lord tell me this, and I, I didn't want to preach another sermon, so I'll just give it to you, and you, you go home and chew on this later. When you don't know that in Christ you're important, then you look to be impressive, right? But when you know you're important, the last thing you care about is being impressive. What's so cool about this is when the light's on, it's just kind of sitting there being quiet. Nobody knows it's there. And then when all of a sudden the room gets dark, boom, there it is. What does any of this mean for you? I think contemporary Christian culture and because of our desire to not experience suffering, we look to a relationship with Christ so that we can become impressive. And a relationship with Christ doesn't make you impressive, it makes you important. You were never meant to be something that just sits around so that people can come in and call you a conversation piece. Hey, if God blesses you, great. But that wasn't the prerequisite of Christianity. You were created to be important. You were created to be in the light. And when you're in the light, you're humble. You're almost unrecognizable at the feet of Jesus. But then when you get put into darkness, you shine. The purpose of you and I being the light in the world today, I think is to tell two main things. Number one, suffering is going to happen. Why do bad things happen to good people? Number one, there are no good people. Let's get that straight. But number two, because sin wreaks havoc in this world. And when sin entered, so did death and despair and sorrow and suffering. And so because of that, there will be people who we would say are good people that will experience bad things. Why would a good God allow bad things to happen? He didn't. What he allowed was an opportunity of a perspective change. And for us to not only be able 
to experience salvation of our sins and the hope that we won't be in darkness forever, but also to understand that we've been called to share that with everybody else that's around us. Does that make sense? That in a world that is dark and that will experience suffering, you and I are supposed to be sharing the hope of the light of the world. Don't put your hope in eliminating suffering. Don't put your hope in eliminating pain. By all means, pray for it. By all means, hope for it. But don't put your hope in it. Put your hope in Jesus. Put your hope in the fact that we won't be here forever. Put your hope in the fact that though sin reigns now, sin will not reign forever. Put your hope in Jesus. And when you face suffering here, be able to say, sin, you may reign now, but you will not reign forever. Do you receive that this morning? Does that help you a little bit the next time somebody says, why do, why do bad things happen to good people? Does it help you a little bit when you, when you think it? Let me, let, me, let me share this and then I'll pray and we'll close. I have a 10-year-old and, and now a six-year-old. And um, I, I don't ever want them to suffer, church. I don't ever, oh, don't ever want them to suffer. But I understand that scarred knees are a part of life. I understand that for her to ride a bike, she's gonna have to fall. I understand that the older they get, they're gonna end up with a broken heart. And then I'm gonna have to break somebody's face. You know, it's just, it's just how, it, how it goes. You know, I mean, it just is what it is. Um, <laughs> Y'all better be that way when it happens, okay? Uh, but, but it's gonna happen. Some little punk. My girls are beautiful. Somebody, somebody's, gonna break, somebody's gonna break their heart. They're gonna fall. They're going to skin their knee. Suffering is going to happen. Amen? But it doesn't mean I have to like it. Right? Let me read something to you, and then my goodness, if you don't receive this. In Hebrews, it, it makes it very clear that although suffering is a part of the world, it doesn't mean that God likes it when you suffer. Hebrews 4.16 says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Here's what I mean by that. Bad things will happen to good people. Suffering will wreak havoc throughout this world because of global sin. Jesus Christ came and died on a cross. He overcame that sin. He paid the penalty of that sin 
so that we could experience eternity in light so that that darkness could eventually be overcome. And even though we suffer now, we will not suffer for eternity. And that is Christianity. And you and I should be sharing that gospel. But in the meantime, in the meantime, your father doesn't like it when you suffer. So although it's a part of life, when it happens, if you'll come running to him, he'll pick you up, he'll hold you, and his mercy and his grace and his love will help you in your time of need. Father, we thank you for your word that is so rich. Gosh, it's so on time. I think there's a temptation created by our culture, Father, to want to be a Christian and avoid pain and avoid suffering. And Father, your word never says that. It never says we'll be able to avoid it. It's very clear that you'll walk with us through it but it is a consequence of global sin. But our hope is not in you surrendering us from today's suffering or today's pain. Our hope is in the fact that because of the sacrifice and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we will not experience it forever. One day there will be no suffering. There will be no death. There will be no pain. There'll be no darkness. And we will rejoice and we will praise you. But in the meantime, we are in a world that is dark. And you are still the best thing about this world. And help us, Father, to share that with other people. Every person that's watching online, every person that's listening. Father, first let them receive it. And then let them understand to move forward being the light that says, hey, don't put your hope in avoiding pain. Don't put your hope in ending suffering. Put your hope in Jesus. Put your hope in knowing that while he will comfort you now, even though sin reigns now, it will not reign forever. Father, we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name.